So would you open God's precious holy word to Deuteronomy chapter 1. We've come now to verse 19 and following. Faith or fear? Moses is giving his final message to the people before he dies and the next generation crosses the Jordan River into Canaan. So this part, as we saw last time and we continue to see for a bit here, is Moses recounting all that they did and how they went wrong uh, in, in some of these cases, how they went wrong in that older generation that kept them wandering for 40 years when they were only, when they were only 11 days away from the place where they were headed. So I call the message tonight, Faith or Fear? It's a great lesson. Remember I told you also that Paul wrote to the Corinthians and these things are written for our example. It's an example for us how to live uh, as the people of God. So are we faithful or are we fearful? Regardless, it does, does, it matter, does it matter what we're facing? Of course not. God, I mean, if God, you know, if you're faithful to God, God is leading you into a direction or guiding you along the way, of whom shall we fear? No one, of course. Now, let's look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. The admonition that came to the people, Moses is reminding them in, in this uh, message that they were always to launch out in faith. If God says go, you need to go. If God says stop, you need to stop. And that happened to them, as you recall, through their wilderness journey, the pillar of fire. They were told when to get up. They were told when to march. They were guided along the way in their march. And then they were told when to stop. And they, of course, were to stop. But all of this was in faith. So the people of God are to always launch out, are always to launch out in faith. Let's look at Beginning in verse 19, we journey, this is Moses' recount uh, of, the, of the events of the older generation. We journeyed from Horeb and went through all that great and fearful desert, which you saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as Yahweh our God commanded us. And we came up to Kadesh Barnea. This is where they send out the spies from whence they Send out the spies. I said to you, you've come to the mountain of the Amorites, which Yahweh our God is giving us. Behold, Yahweh your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as Yahweh, uh, the God of your fathers or the God of your forefathers, has spoken to you. You shall neither fear nor be dismayed. The Lord your God has set the land before you. That means everything's okay. Don't worry about it. Doesn't matter what's there. Doesn't matter what you may see or think. Yahweh has already settled the issue. He has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. Uh, so, the God of our forefathers, you shall neither fear nor be dismayed. You shall neither fear in the negative, 
from the from the Hebrew, it's in the call. Uh, it's in the call, which is uh, it, it's a uh, it's a the the it's in the masculine, and it means it's it being in the uh, the call means that it's and the call is in the imperfect here. So it's, it's in a future tense with an active voice in the Hebrew. It's very forceful. And in the active voice, it just means you, you will not be fearing. This is something that just goes along. It shouldn't even be a thought. Shouldn't be anything that's part of your psyche when you're serving the Lord and following His direction. Here was His direction from His servant, Moses. Yahweh has set the land before you. Go get it. It's yours. Possess it. It's yours. Yahweh, the God of our forefathers, has spoken to you. Therefore, don't be afraid, nor, be, nor neither be dismayed. But the you shall not fear is very forceful. It's continual. There's never a, <laughs> there's never a place where God says, be afraid. You should be afraid. Never, you don't see that. Now, God may say, no, do not fight the battle. I'm not going to give it to you. God may say that. Or God may say, you don't need to go that way. You need to go this way. God may say that. And he may say that for the children of Israel to avoid a costly battle. So they go the other way and avoid the battle. There's nothing wrong with avoiding trouble, especially when God says so. But when God says to go and take the battle... It's yours, I've given it to you, or to go and possess the land. That means the purpose of God is to be fulfilled in what you're doing, and nothing can stop you. That's exactly what that means. So are they going to have faith or fear? Here it is. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. God knew that they were pensive about going forward and crossing over to possess the land. Don't be afraid. The Lord your God has given you the land. Go and possess it. Possess it. Don't just sit there. Possess it. It's yours. I've given it to you. I've settled it for you. I've set it there for you. I've arranged everything. Just go and get it. Go and take it. And in the active, in that, uh, in the call, imperfect, it means, it means never, ever be afraid. That's just the thing that goes on and on. You don't, you don't ever be afraid. Never. So God's people should, should never fear. We should never react or live or move in fear. This is what God is saying to his people. The next thing that's pointed out here is that people of God should never doubt the faithfulness of God. Remember when Joseph said to his brothers once they were discovered and they discovered him, he said, when reflecting on how they sold him into slavery so many years ago and all, you meant it for evil, Joseph said, but God meant it for good. Because the years that followed brought Joseph to the second most important position in the world in that day. And he brought Joseph to that position just so that Joseph could be positioned to save the people of God in a time of famine. An event which would further strengthen the faith of the people of God 
and would further demonstrate the power and glory of God in the presence of his people. We're never to doubt the faithfulness of God with regard to his relationship to us. Beginning of verse 22. All of you approached me and said, let us send men ahead of us so that they will search out the land for us and bring us back word by which route we shall take or go up and to which cities we shall come. And the matter pleased me, so I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe. They turned and went up to the mountain and they came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. And they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us, brought us back word and said, the land the Lord our God is giving us is good. Yahweh our God is giving us a good land. This was the initial report. Nothing that Yahweh had said was disproven. Not a thing. This is a good land. Look at what this land, and this is just a little piece of a chunk that we took and brought back to show you what a tremendous, productive, and fruitful land this is. The land the Lord our God is giving us is good. So God is faithful. Nothing else should matter. The people of God are always going to face the intimidations of the world. If we are faithful to the word of God and we are sincerely seeking the guidance and following the journey that our God has put before us, we should never doubt his faithfulness. God is not leading us into evil. God is not leading us into destruction. God is leading us into good. This is the most wonderful land in all of the world. And God is giving it. So here it is. Here's the report. Part one. What Yahweh has said about the land is correct. Here's proof. And the land that he gives us is good. Not a thing wrong. So far, so good. But then rebellion came up in the hearts of the people of God. And rebellion always costs us something dearly. So now down into verse 26 and following. But you did not want to go up. And you rebelled against the commandment of Yahweh your God. It was a commandment. Go and take the land. It was a command and the people rebelled. They said no. They were afraid. You remember the account. The people are too strong. The cities are too high. The walls are too high. And we, we can't do this. And they're right. They couldn't have done it on their own. You rebelled against the commandment of Yahweh, your God. You murmured in your tents and said, because Yahweh hates us. Of course, that's never true. I loathe it when I hear people blaming God for something. The people of God should always praise God regardless of what it is. I can tell you this. I've been around the block a long, enough times to know and I can look back at times when, when God sent me in another direction. I went to bed one night 
uh, at the wor- at, in a motel close to the world headquarters of the International Taekwondo Federation. I was being trained by the founder of Taekwondo, General Che Hong Hee. He was my instructor's instructor. He, he's dead now. So he's, he's kicked the bucket. He kicked his last kick. His world, the, the, his, his world chief trainer and chief instructor, Park Jung Tae, was, he was my personal instructor. And then I went to the home of General Che to be trained in Hyung, in Tul, in form, in Kata form. If, if the word, if the name Funakoshi means anything to you, Che Hong He was trained by Funakoshi. He is the founder of modern karate. He's dead too. He's been dead a long time. He's been dead longer than the general. And so I'm there and I'm training and I'm committed and I'm doing this stuff every day, all day long into the night with people from all over the world. At the world headquarters, the high-ranking black belts are coming from all over the world. They're in and out all the time and you're cross-training and you're just bleeding with each other. And I went to bed on a Wednesday night while I was there. Now I was, I had, I had left my first church, which was a bivocational church. And my daddy, who was my boss, gave me paid leave as long as I needed it to finish my dissertation. Now understand this, this was in 1980, 1980. I think, 1980. There were no computers. There was no spell check. There was nothing like that. And I labored through the thing, what, about six months or so? Just stayed home, just worked on that thing. And my dear wife typed it. We had a Selectric typewriter. Had those little balls on it that would just... And she typed that thing and we would correct and recorrect and redirect and change up and do all this on and on and on research and research and research. Then I took it to Ms. Mashburn. She went to the same church where I grew up and she was an English professor at the Gadsden Junior College there. So I took it to her to proofread it. And she spent a couple of weeks, I guess. She kept, she spent some time, and then she, she butchered it up with a pencil. She didn't use a pencil. She used a pencil. Just and then, you know, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the, in the, over in the, in the side, she'd write the correction. So my dear wife had to go back and retype the thing. We, we couldn't use, what was that called? Dry erase or something you would you. Well, white out. You couldn't use that. I mean, it had to be perfect, right? It, it had to be just right. Then I had to take it to a bindery. I had to find a bindery in those days and have it hardbound, three copies, and all this stuff. And I had spent all that time. So I had, for that moment in time, I had left, I had resigned my little church so that I could spend time working on that dissertation but then I got a phone call that I was invited to the world headquarters. Pat was great with child. Jessica was 
do you any minute just about. And you talk about a, on the horns of a dilemma. A wife that's about to deliver and the opportunity to go train with General Cheong Yi. Well, I went to train with General Cheong Yi. <laughs> but as God would have it, how old was Jessica when I went up there? Or did you have her when I came back? Okay, so she held her breath that time. Two weeks later. By the, listen, God was in it. Can you see this? God was in it. He blessed me. I was a foolish young man. And so I flew, I flew over to the world headquarters. Man, I went through stuff and did all of this training. And I'm tired and I'm beat down. And I'm in that hotel room and the phone, I got two phone calls that night. One phone call was from a pastor search committee asking me to come and serve as interim pastor. It was a full-time church, big church, pretty big church as churches go. And then I got a second phone call from a church where I had preached as a fill-in, not knowing that I was on display because they were looking for a pastor. And that search committee called me the same night, Wednesday night. They both had business meetings that night. And that church search committee chairman called me and wanted me to come and preach in view of a call. These two churches, that's really not very ethical. And I, of course, I couldn't even spell ethical back then, I don't think. I didn't know. I just, I just thought, boy, that's neat. Now what am I going to do? I had been a bivocational pastor. I was manager of the clothing business. Everything was going well by the grace of God in the clothing business. It seemed like my life was set. I was going to be a bivocational pastor. And I had this other life where I lived in a violent world of martial arts. And I kind of kept that to myself most. I didn't want people to know about that. So anyway, I had to struggle with this. All right, now, here I am. That was in 1980. This is 2023. That was 43 years ago. 40, 43 years ago. That's longer than the children were in the desert. Think about that. 40 years. And so, I couldn't sleep. I just didn't know what to do. Man, I was... I had... I had just about finished this. At, I know I still had work to do on the dissertation. And I just didn't see how I could be a pastor because I had left a pretty good church and I had to keep working on this dissertation until it was finally approved. So I didn't realize at that point in time, my life was at a major crossroads. It didn't seem that way. When I went to bed that night, it didn't seem, when I got those two phone calls, I, at first I thought, I kind of giggled. I thought, well, you know, that's pretty neat. But then I got to thinking about it. So I, I did a lot of praying. We did a lot of praying about it. And I declined the bivocational church. It was a beautiful, brand new church out in uh, Reese City. I don't even know where that is. It's outside of Atala. Beautiful area out there. And the, the, the people were just really progressive thinking people. They wanted to do a lot of stuff. And 
I was young, you know, and I had all this energy and everything. So I struggled with this. The other church, however, only wanted me to fill the pulpit. Just fill the pulpit. We'll take care of everything. You won't have to make any visits. You won't have to worry about people being sick or in the hospital. We'll take our deacons. We'll take care of all that. We just need you to come and fill the pulpit. That's all we need you to do. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And we need you uh, to uh, preside over the uh, business meeting. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> Those are so much fun. You have to carry two inspired books into the pulpit with you on business meeting night. One is the Bible and the other is Robert's Rules of Order. Well, I thought, well, you know, I'll take a, I'll take a deep breath. And I'll, I'll, right now I've got to concentrate on what I'm doing here at the World Headquarters. It kind of was interjected. They gave me a phone call and I had this invitation and all that. So, completed my time of training there. Came back home. Amanda didn't recognize me. And I said to Amanda, come here, darling, it's Daddy. No. <laughs> she run and hide behind Pat. But I love you. Don't you love me? No. <laughs> so I made, up a, I made up a girl, a little girl, in camp, in, where I was at the World Headquarters. I said, I met a little girl at the World Headquarters. Her name is Teresa. Teresa loves me. <laughs> Finally, I broke her. She was broken by my lies. <laughs> she ran to me and gave me a hug. Everything was all right. Well, anyway, then Jessica was born. But um, this, was, uh, <laughs> this was an adventure uh, during all that time. But that night, there was a, a crossroads. There was a crossroads that was that would really define my life and my ministry. I didn't realize it. I, I couldn't have appreciated it like I can now. I chose the I chose the interim pastorate just so that I could fill the pulpit and complete my dissertation work, and still maintain activity in, in pulpit preaching. All. But here's the deal: after I'd been there a while. <laughs> I don't want to sound immodest or anything, but to my surprise, what, after about two months, two and a half months? Yeah, it was like in October, November. The search committee started staying back home instead of going out. And then about the third Sunday that they stayed behind, they asked me to step into the preacher's office, and I did. And they said, you know, we're going to have to agree with our congregation. Why are we looking anywhere else? We want you to be our pastor. Now, this was a full-time pastor, you understand. I had grown up in the clothing business. Until that moment in time, I had never imagined myself out of the clothing business. Never had. Didn't, didn't even cross my mind. And so now they wanted me, and this was a, it was a church that was in, in the part of Etowah County that was really growing and, and a lot of young couples moving in. And I struggled with that, but I, 
I finally agreed to do that. And so I was presented to the church and my life turned into the full-time ministry. I had no idea on that Wednesday night when I got those two phone calls that one of those phone calls that would have been the most attractive to me because I could finish my dissertation would lead me into a into a full-time church, a full-time pulpit, and I could then dedicate my life to study and teaching and preaching from, from then on for the rest of my life. I did not know that I was at this particular crossroads of time. Well, we go back here, and the people are murmuring against God, saying, He hates us. He took us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to exterminate us. Well, of course, that wasn't it at all. God is leading them into a nation to fulfill the promise that He had made to Abraham, the people in their land, thus to produce in the due course of time the Christ of God, the Savior of the world, who would then redeem His own. Well, okay, so... They didn't have the foresight. They couldn't have known at that moment in time. Or they could have known, but they refused to know and they rebelled against it. Boy, you have to be prayerful when you reach these crossroads in life. You don't know how it's going to impact your life, the lives of so many other people. You have no use trust God. So do you move in faith or do you move in fear? Here, they're moving more in fear and they are doubting the faithfulness of God. And so they begin to question God. Verse 28, Where shall we go up? Our brothers have discouraged us, saying, A people greater and taller than we, cities great and fortified up to the heavens. And we have even sun, seen the sons of Anachim there. They were the giants. That was that... That was that tribe of giants, these great big guys. And an offshoot of them were the sons of the Anat. You know who defeated those people? When they went into the land? Caleb, an 80-year-old man. Because they were living on the land that God had promised him he saw it when he went over as one of the spies and he said, I want that place when we come back. Man, that's where the grapes of Eskel grow. This is the place. Joshua said, you'll have it. So now he's at the foot of this mountain. Giants are up there in walled and fortified cities. Caleb is 80 years old. And old Caleb, I like him. He says, I'm as good of a man as I've ever been. And I'm going to go up there. God is with me and I don't care who's up there. That's my land. Of course, he defeated them. Now, this was a man of faith. But at this point, the people are filled with fear because they've taken their eyes off of God and onto the situation as they saw it. They didn't have to look anywhere else but to God. That's all we ever have to look at is to God. That's all we have to do. It's a very simple job description. Trust God. Now, 
It was discovered that God is the God who fights for his people. And I said to you, do not be broken or afraid of them. Yahweh, your God who goes before you, he will fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. Boy, that's a great illustration. Don't you remember what happened? They were begged us to leave. They paid us all of their gold and rejoiced when we left. And even when Pharaoh decided to come and kill us, he parted the Red Sea, the pillar of fire. Do you not remember the things that Yahweh has done for us? He will fight for you. You don't have to fight. He, that's a hard lesson to learn. But boy, when you learn it, you're all right. So then he says, Yahweh will fight for you just as he did in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the desert where you have seen how Yahweh your God has carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you have gone until you have come to this place. Now, the new generation, this new generation, and probably the older generation as they spent their last days, and the last of them could see perhaps, the land of promise, though they couldn't enter it. But this new generation could look back and they could see how God was at work in everything, the faithfulness of God. And they were going to trust that, unlike their forebears, they were going to trust in the faithfulness of God. You're going to see that Yahweh, your God, has carried you just like a man will carry his son. All the way that you've gone until you've come to this place. God has been with you every step and who you are, a mighty nation. You have fought nations and defeated them. God has been faithful and you are ready to go. And he has carried you. And if he has carried you, he will carry you. But regarding this matter, you do not believe Yahweh, your God, who goes before you on the way to search out a place for you in which to encamp in fire at night to enable you to see on the way you should go and in a cloud by day. That pillar of fire by night, that cloud by day, it never it never forsook the people of God. Even in their worst murmurings and doubtings, God was always there. And so now as, they've come, as this generation has come to the brink of the Jordan, they can look back and can understand the faithfulness of God. That's, that's how I can look back on so many things in life. And you can't do it. So what happens is as you grow in the Lord, it becomes more of faith and less of fear in our lives as the people of God. Well, we're going to stop there. We'll be dismissed. Father God, thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your guiding hand. Teach us ever more and increasingly to lean on you. In Jesus' name, amen.